I want to know everything there is to know about you. I am going to introduce me. You must have spotted her by now. She's always there. Don't I deserve love? Somebody has to like me best. Hello! Oh, I must look like a yeti in this getup. <laughs> we are here with the queerest of the queer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and Harvey Firestein. Woohoo! <laughs> who will we have to round off our queer celebration of queer performers of queer things, blah, blah, blah. Harvey Firestein was the person that we came up with. And it's someone that you've talked about, uh, mentioned very often. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, has just never s stuck. I'm not, I'm not even sure. And even when we came to talking about this series, he wasn't the first person that jumped to mind. But I'm so glad we're doing him. Oh, yeah. Um... Yes, Harvey, I think I've always kind of thrown into the mix when we've thought about who are we going to do the next few episodes on, yada, yada, yada. And I'm always like, Harvey, Harvey, Harvey. And it, it's mostly because I think he is a perfect fit for this podcast in general. In terms of his work on screen, in, you know, all but one film really, he is very much a background character who, who may pop in and out of a... Uh, throughout the duration of a film, but he stands out every single time. Looking through kind of what he's worked on in, in television shows, for example, in ones I thought he was in loads of, he's only in one episode, but because it's Harvey Firestone and he's just so there, mm. I'm just like, God, yeah, I love him. I just, just think he's wonderful. I reckon as a lifelong fan of Mrs. Doubtfire, um, a film that will never grow old, to me, he probably was. There's a good chance he was the first very queer person I would have seen on screen and knowing that they were a queer person. So I think he probably has just really cemented himself in in lots of things that I love and love about cinema and love about performers and performers that just make themselves stand out. And for him, I think that's just such a natural thing that... So many people will know Har Harvey Firestein. Even if they don't by name, they'll know him by voice. Um, it's funny, I, uh, what you say is exactly the same truth for me. And I assume for a lot of people to have him be the first out gay person who was playing a gay character that was openly gay in the story, um, Mrs. Doubtfire. And I can't think of what the next performer would have been you know, particularly of the t like, yeah. even if I think about the Birdcage, which I would have seen when I was a teen, I would have assumed Nathan Lane was out, but he he wasn't. So, but he probably he was out by the time I watched it. But mm -hmm. what I mean is, like, Harvey was an out proud gay person, and also what that sequence, as we'll get into, I guess, when we talk about Miss Doubtfire, is very queer. Do you know, like, they're oh, not yeah. just having a queer person or character. And it, in a very kind of heterosexual view of it, like they're, you know, per, per, they're performing Funny Girl. They're being Barbara Streisand. They're doing all these things. You know, it's <laughs> it's openly queer and it's wonderful. And yeah, he's just he's always been a, a famous person in my mind and political. I would have said with a small p before doing research here, only because I would have thought just his presence alone would have got people's backs up. You know, like he, 
is very polite, he's very charming, he's very intelligent, but he also doesn't shy away from who he is. To And that's why I say political, because just by being an out queer performer and talking about gay issues and gay rights and telling queer stories, you are political by very nature, sadly, in the world that we live in now, and certainly when in the 80s and 90s. So yeah, I'm so glad, and I f I'm such a like a fangirl now of his after, and not for her, his film work per se, mm -hmm. but just him as a person, as yeah. a as also an elder in the queer community. I don't know. I I just I'm so glad to have spent time just thinking about Harvey Firestein. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the, the truth of it. Not for his film work and, and again why he fits so well in here. Like someone we want more from on screen, if that's the absolute crux of what we're doing here. He is someone I would love so much more of on screen. And when you do go back through and watch the films you realise that he is ultimately in pretty short supply in there. But mm. so funny, so lively, so present that he, he stands out so much. So yeah, big big champion of Harvey Firestein. And as we sort of go through this journey of his career and what he's done, if you're not familiar with his work, there is going to be a lot of chat on theatre and his contribution in that space because he is a very prolific um, theatre writer and performer. Um, but quite specifically, I guess, for writing and sort of the credits he's racked up on that front uh, has made him incredibly well known within the New York theatre scene. And it is interesting because although I can't find what films and roles he's referring to, he does mention in a few different places that he's failed every audition and he's gone to many auditions for film. Okay. So I don't know what roles he wasn't getting, but right. clearly he, there was an appetite to do those roles. Yeah. Oh, which is then very frustrating and and maybe it's one of those things though because you are going to get something quite specific with Harvey um, and, and that's what makes him stand out and unique but I maybe then makes it more challenging to, to cast him in certain areas so said, I would be yeah. interested to hear what those things are I'm going to do what he does with Barbara Walters in an amazing interview where, where I so I agree with you to a point but I also think he is a great actor like yeah. I think he could transform yeah. I just think and sadly, this is what still happens in, in film so often, where you just casting people and directors find it so hard to like veer off what yes. they know. But I, so I don't, it's not that I totally disagree with you, I just think he could have done way more. Oh, I, and I and it's just such a shame. That. I mean, the most obvious roles that you can think of, like I guess Hairspray, where he could have played the part he did originated, yeah. um, that John Travolta took on, or either the parts in The Birdcage of if that was the thing, but I wouldn't personally recast him in those. I would keep the casting as the NR. But we can talk about those things if we come to them. Sure. But it's just a, yeah. Shall we talk about Mr. Firestein and get into some of these career points? Yes, please. Wonderful. All right, let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. Harvey Firestein was born on June the 6th, 1954, in Brooklyn, New York. And I think he is very Brooklyn, New York. Uh, his mother was a school librarian and his father um, a handkerchief manufacturer. Wow. I uh, thought you, you promised me that you were going to do this in his voice. Not to Manny. No, I couldn't do oh it. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> I don't know who that sounds like. Um, no, not him. Uh, I wish I could sound like him, but I can't. But he is known to many for that voice. But despite that infamous rasp, he was once a soprano in a professional boys' choir. Oh. So, boy, did that voice change. Firestein graduated from the High School of Art and Design. It's just what it's called. So the High School of Art and Design, wonderful, and received a BFA from the Pratt Institute in 1973. As one of the first openly gay celebrities in the US, Firestein helped make gay and lesbian life into a viable subject for contemporary drama. And he says that in his writing, he will um, do that without apologies and no climactic suicides. And I think at this point, it's worth bringing in the story of Harvey's activism, uh, which was born out of losing so many people he loved um, during the AIDS pandemic. He became known for speaking prolifically on AIDS prevention and safe sex and gay rights. But it was something that he was, he found himself very much involved in and very much involved in, in his own kind of point of struggling. And of course, he was losing so many people and losing so many people that he worked with in the likes of um, Torch Song uh, trilogy or La Casual Fall, he cites in both of those losing many of the sort of casting crew members to AIDS. So even those around him he was working with, um, he was losing, and that obviously took a huge toll on him. And instead of kind of falling into sort of too dark a place which he was finding himself, he decided to kind of channel that into the activism. Um, which became a huge part of his life. And interestingly, now he doesn't cite himself as so much of an activist. And not that he isn't. I think he just wants to acknowledge that uh, there was a point in time where he felt like even though he was speaking up and talking about those things, nothing was necessarily coming of it. And he kind of compares it to like a, a chef is no longer a chef if they're not putting food on the table. So I'm not an activist because I'm not bringing anything to the table anymore. Which I think is very sad, but I mean if that's how he kind of chooses to acknowledge that sort of change in how he views himself and his activism, then that's understandable. Going back to his performing career, though, that began in the 70s. He was one of the founding members of the Gallery Players of Park Slope, a small Brooklyn theatre company. Around this time as well, he was then cast in, very interestingly, Andy Warhol's only play called Pork, <laughs> um, where I think... And I'm going to say this is what he referred to it as playing an asthmatic dyke. Yeah, yeah. He, I do recommend if you enjoy, if you like Harvey Firestein, and after you have, obviously you've finished this episode, go and listen to him talk in general. But when he talks about this, like he's lived such a life. Oh, truly. But that that's fascinating. Andy Warhol's only play, like he was there. He really lived in this mm. moment in in time. It's a wonderful thing. Um, so as well as acting, like we mentioned, uh, he also began writing a lot around this time. So he has Flatbush Tosca, where he played a cross-dressing character um, in which he sang the whole second act in Italian. Uh, he had another called Freaky Pussy in Search of the Cobra Jewels. Mm. Revive that in the National Theatre, <laughs> I dare you. I would love to see it. Um, during this time as well, he was also touring his own drag show in Greenwich Village in New York, uh, which included impersonations of Ethel Merman. Amazing. 
1977, Harvey wrote the International Stud, the single play beginnings of what would become his Torch Song trilogy, a massive, massive point in his career. And this was the thing that would send him into Broadway's uh, spotlight. On that rocky road of trying to get this play produced, he was encouraged to turn it into a trilogy of plays. Uh, so following on from that advice, he would deliver on that and wrote Fugue in a Nursery in 1978 and Widows and Children First in 1979. And these will continue the saga of that lead character of Arnold Beckoff. All three of these works premiered separately at La Mama, which was an experimental theatre club in New York. And even though producers loved this play, the gay content was always sending them in the other direction. But in 1981, it would be picked up by a small not-for-profit company who would take it for an eight-week off-Broadway run. Initially, nobody was showing up, but following a surprisingly glowing review in the New York Times because this critic had initially spoke so ill of the first play, when it was presented in this way, they ate it up and loved it, so gave it a glowing review, which then gave it a massive surge in popularity and turned the show into a massive success, selling out theatres and leading to its off-Broadway run being extended to another theatre, and then picked up and taken to Broadway in 1982. Speaking of the response from audiences after seeing the trilogy, Harvey said it was educating people every night. After you see Torch Song, you can't put down gays in quite the same way you might have wanted to before. You see real people who want real things. They're not self-pitying. They're real people, people who want to live. This play won Harvey two Tony Awards for Best Actor and Best Play, as well as a slew of many, many other theatre awards. Firestein is the first openly gay actor to win a Tony Award for Best Actor in a Play for um, this production. And then the film adaptation would come about in 1988 and, amongst other acclaim, earned him an Indie Spirit Award nomination as Best Male Lead. So the Torch Song Trilogy, the film, 1988. Tell us a little bit about the Torch Song Trilogy, if you will, Michael. So essentially, it's a story between a mother and son. So Arnold, played by Harvey, and Anne Bancroft as the mother. And that is the bookends of this story. You know, we the first scene is between Arnold as a child putting on makeup and his mother discovering it. And it, you know, it ends, it, you know... I don't know if you say resolve, but it certainly comes to head their, their mm -hmm. different conflicting points of view. And it follows Arnold trying to live his life, essentially. And most some of it is so kind of like normal in, an, in a very odd way. But of course, there's these wonderful moments. Like he's a drag performer. You know, he talks about how he's looking for this happiness, this love. Oh, like he's like... I really think so many parts of the film are striking, but like opening a tour in the opening scenes, there's this monologue with Harvey just speaking to camera as the camera like moves mm. around him at a dressing table. So not on stage, but he's performing for us, the audience. And he talks about loads of different things about his life and we learn a lot. But it ends with him reflecting on him learning sign language because of a man that he knew. I, I even learned me some of that deaf sign language. Oh, I, I remember some. 
cockroach. Means fuck. Oh, this is my favorite. Means I love you. And I did too. But, um, not enough. And it like sets up the story of this man just wants love. Like love of his mother, love of romantic love, sex. He wants to be a parent. And it's really journeying through through that. Um, I can't believe I've never watched it before, mainly because I, the play is really significant in terms of gay storytelling. And the film is significant because, you know, at the time that came out in the 80s, people expected gay stories, particularly if they were in New York or, you know, in a city, to be about AIDS. Whereas actually they set the story a few decades earlier to avoid um, having to deal with AIDS. And actually Harvey talks about the responses and he's like, all they wanted was this and that's not what I wanted to do. Like, I just wanted to show like gay people have needs and wants and desires like everyone else. Um, yeah, and I think the film flies in many, many, many moments. Like there's this, this exchange between Harvey and Anne Bancroft. You're a good person. A sensitive person with a heart can a horror like your father. And I try to love you for that and forget about this, but you won't let me. You haven't spoken one sentence since I got here without the word gay in it. Because it's what I am. What if that was all? You could leave it in there where it belongs. But no, you're obsessed with it. You're not happy unless everybody's talking about it. No, look. Try and imagine the world the other way around. That every book, every magazine, every newspaper, every TV show, every movie was telling you, you should be homosexual. You know you're not. You know to you this is Stop right. Stop already. You're talking crazy. You all know it's crazy. After all these years, I'm still sitting here trying to justify my life. This is crazy. It's so empowering. Even now as a 30-something gay person to be like, sometimes I, I feel that way when I'm talking to people that are close to me that are maybe not as open-minded as I'd like them to be or, or you know because we do live in a world where you know being heterosexual is the norm and I don't think it you know it comes automatically to most people how difficult that can be for people that have grown up in a world where that's seen as negative and joked about and like almost kind of like poisonous very much like the Anne Bancroft character talks about. So yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I thought Harvey Firestein... I think the performances in general are good. But Harvey Firestein is such an incredible mm -hmm. actor. It, it is wild. Like, he mentions this actually in his autobiography that just came out um, called I Was Better Last Night, which is very entertaining to read. <laughs> and he talks about if a straight actor played that part, it would have been celebrated and won an award. It would have been so brave. And I think that's true. Like, so Richard Dreyfuss was actually was in talks to do the part. And a part of me was like, God, they would have nominated it at the Oscars or something, or at least the Golden Globes. But to me, it's wild that Harvey Firestein is ignored. I, I don't care what year it was or whatever. He deserved to be there. It's beautiful. It's such a beautiful performance. Even, I will say, the film is uneven. Like, it's very yeah. theatrical. It's not, it doesn't find a cinematic voice in many ways. But Harvey's the reason it works. And yeah. then when Anne Bancroft comes in, oh, my God, like electric. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. And he is amazing. And I think this is the most important film that we could talk about. And I think the most important work in his career, because in the, the play Incarnation and the film, this is his story. A lot of it is 
um, semi-autobiographical. For example, a huge part of it is him falling in love with a, a bisexual teacher uh, who then ends up going their own way. And he too had his heart broken by a bisexual teacher in his life. So there's a lot of the things which are which are true to his own life. So it's very much his story, although far from entirely, but very much his own story. It is his creation. It is his thing. He is the lead. And he is triumphant in in doing all of those things and doing them all so beautifully. I do also think the film is uneven. It is a trilogy and you do have the first one being about him falling in love with this teacher and then it's sort of ending with meeting um, this younger model character who ends up being the love of his life. The second part is about their, their sort of life together and then the third part moving into the future after some tragedy and him sort of trying to regather and find direction with family and a, and a child of his own who he's adopted and it is that third part which I think is the strongest even though I, I think the first is also incredibly strong I think it it, it is got strong throughout but it's, it's that last one where it really sings for me and Anne Bancroft also really brings it to life in that moment but it is Harvey's thing and he is just magnificent to to watch in it. This is the the second time I'd seen this one. I have seen this one before, um, and just helped me appreciate just how amazing Harvey Firestein is. And maybe it's because I had seen this before that he was so much clearer in my mind as someone we needed to to talk about. It's a film which is barely spoken about now, I would say, and it ought to be championed a lot more because at the heart of this, you do have really special work and thoughtful telling of a gay story and yeah it's just a it's a wonderful thing it's also worthwhile pointing out because he mentions this in his uh, book um another bit of feedback that they repeatedly got was that harvey wasn't attractive enough for people like matthew broderick and brian Kerwin. i'm only bringing that up because you know that is one of the many reasons i guess why he is not a leading man or he has not got many other opportunities as that we know of because people just didn't see him that way and society is so superficial and it's odd because i actually think he's very handsome and very charismatic and i just don't see an appeal to those two men i'd want to be sleeping with harvey i wouldn't want to be sleeping with matthew o'brien yeah and but he's, he is just so charismatic and wonderful and there's so He's so cute and and sweet in the moments where he's like playing bashful mm. and he just is he's doing this so well he's completely br brings this character to life and his relationships with the other drag queens he works with um it's so there's so much joy and love in this film it's it's just yeah it's really special and and really upsettingly it's still resonant to today <laughs> do you know that last half an hour in particular or an hour when sorry half an hour would be really fascinating to a lot of people i think yeah well i'd hope but yeah all right from the torch song so that film was 88 we're just going to jump back a little bit to kind of cover his career from the point of the play so now in 1983 this is where we have firestein writing the book for le casual 
Um, so this is the stage musical mm-hmm. that was based on the French comedy of the same name and which would also go on to become The Birdcage in a later big screen adaptation in the 90s. He would win another Tony for the book of this musical and during the speech at the Tony's he would acknowledge his male lover which was not a first apparently but um, outlets like Entertainment Weekly reported that it was still very startling to many viewers so still an unusual thing to be openly acknowledging your same-sex partner. Um, So again trailblazing and doing something before many many others were. And Le Casual Fall, just for a, a momentary aside, was something that we recently have seen together in London in a production at the Regent's Park Open Air Theatre, which was wonderful. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Um, I love a Jerry Herman musical, so like Mame or Hello Dolly. Yeah, the music's wonderful. I Am What I Am being the most iconic number from this. So now very much tied to to Harvey Firestein and in celebrations of his working career there's been you know beautiful renditions of say drag queens from like the drag race uh, mm. alumni singing this song to Harvey and wonderful and and it's no wonder it's kind of tied to him even though you know he didn't write the song it just feels very much um true and part of him as well mm. uh Harvey would narrate the documentary The Times of Harvey Milk in 1984 for which he would win a news and documentary Emmy for Outstanding Interview Interviewer, um, which he shared with a producer and director. And it's a great documentary. Oh, is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a very important documentary. It's one that I have always meant to, to get to, but for whatever reason I haven't, and I ought to. His playwriting credits would then include Spook House in 1984, Save Sex in 87, and Forget Him in 88. Um, and also in 88, he collaborated with Peter Allen, creating the book for the musical Legs Diamond. Um, and this show was not a commercial success, and very quickly thereafter, its run ended. But the music would live on in um, Peter Allen's biographical musical, The Boy from Oz. In 1990, Firestein voiced the character of Carl, Homer's assistant in Simpson and Delilah in the second season of the show. The he's Simpsons. A <laughs> the Simpsons being that show, I don't think I should say that. <laughs> and he's a hottie. <laughs> he's a hottie. Um, yeah, Carl's fun. In 1992, Harvey was nominated for an Emmy for Best Guest Actor in a Comedy Series for his portrayal of Mark Newberger in an episode of Cheers. Um, that same year, he also starred in podcast favourite, an episode of Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> Oh my god, what, do you know what part he played? I don't, I'm afraid. Oh, I need to watch that episode. I love that. He feels like a, a perfect fit for that show, so it's definitely worth one to seek out. And I hope he's, hope he's not just like a background player. I hope he has a good moment. Oh, well, also because Angela Lansbury is such a theatre darling, and also Jerry Herman, like she was the original name. It makes sense that they would be friends and connect that way. Sure. And he's gay, and she's, uh, she loves gays too. <laughs> and she's Angela. In 1993, Firestein begins to gearn, to gearn? He begins to oh, gearn. Oh, poor thing. Um, did he survive? <laughs> <laughs> he begins to gain far more familiarity to many, and I'm sure um, many around our sort of age bracket, and just more in general, broadly household name because it was a massive su- su- massive success. Uh, this is where we get him as Uncle Frank 
in Mrs. Doubtfire. Daniel, hi. Could you make me a woman? Honey, I'm so happy. This is sort of key in that this is how I know Harvey Firestein. I'm sure it's how many know Harvey Firestein. In my mind, he's a huge part in this film. However, he's only really in two scenes, which probably um, accumulate to no more than five minutes of screen time, mm. potentially, maybe a little bit more. But he's not in it for much. But his presence is very, very strong in the film because of that iconic voice and presence and because, like we said earlier, he was playing a gay character as an openly gay man in this. Um, now, I'm a massive Mrs. Doubtfire fan. It's something that I loved as a kid and still love now, even though I acknowledge there's parts of it which are more than a little questionable, given the <laughs> nature of the subject matter. Um, but I would still always find a way of trying to justify it just because the love is too strong. I rewatched it for the purpose of this and even though I was watching it on my own laughed a lot um, Robin Williams is an all time hero of mine and I just think this is the funniest film that's ever been mm. and I've made many friends because of Mrs Doubtfire and, and quoting Mrs Doubtfire I've um, had peculiar sexual encounters whilst quoting <laughs> Mrs Doubtfire so it's been very much a part of my life in, in have many you been ways. speaking like Mrs Doubtfire no comment <laughs> um, oh my god <laughs> oh dear <laughs> um, quite something I love um, it oh my god what a revealing um, episode <laughs> but it's and, and people call me Mrs Doubtfire I think oh. without really trying I think I sound often quite like said character um, a Scottish nanny. It's, it, but it, that's a good question. I is the accent. I just always assumed it wasn't real, like it was a fake Scottish accent. But is, she, is it actually like could she pass as a Scottish person? Ish. I mean, it is a Scottish accent. I don't know how specific, but I think it is a good yeah. Scottish accent. I think it's so fine. Sally but Field it's... isn't the most. Like, I don't know. <laughs> most perceptive. But in America, if you heard that accent, you would definitely go, "Oh, that's a that's a Scottish person." Because um, is Pierce Brosnan doing? Is he doing an American accent, or does he have his Irish accent in it? He's doing. Oh, that is very. Because to me, I always think. Because he always speaks in this sort of yeah, non-Irish Irish voice. Yeah, between kind of transatlantic sort of... So you think he's thinking about it. I'm it. trying to hear him in my head right now, but I think he is sort of doing American-ish. Mm. <laughs> um, but no, I think it's uh, it's fine. Mrs Doubtfire, if she was a real person, might be from sort of the, the East, perhaps Edinburgh way, <laughs> that's sort of got a, a conventionally posh Scottish-sounding accent. But... Anyway, lots of lots of reasons I love it. Sally Field being a huge part of that too. Oh my god, so amazing, Sally! At that black dress. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm anyway. I'm obsessed with Sally Field yeah. anyway. Yeah, there's absolutely. a lot of actually things that are very queer in Mrs. Doubtfire, but mostly Sally Field and Harvey Firestein. Um, yes, definitely. But it's wonderful. Harvey, I think, is just a joy in this moment and you notice here there's there's kind of moments where um the character of daniel 
uh, is coming to his brother because he needs to become a woman because he's going to have to fool his ex-wife and children to allow him to be the nanny and this is where it's all very problematic but anyway make me a woman he goes to his brother played by Harvey Firestein who's a makeup artist in film um, and he's like oh that makes me so happy and then he goes and then we get this amazing sequence where they're trying a variety of makeup wig looks prosthetics and then ultimately he brings out the plaster and Mrs. Doubtfire is born from that. Yeah. But this whole sequence is so playful, so fun. The chemistry between these characters and Aunt Jack as well, yeah. who's also there, it's just so real. They are so funny together. It's a joyous moment on screen. Um, but yes, when he comes back again, um, was it? No, the first time we meet him after the breakup has happened and before he decides he wants to become a woman, we have um, Harvey on the phone to their mother. And I realise now in many of his films, he's on the phone to his mother and always kind of got the same, oh, ma, um, in all of these uh, moments going on, which are so beautiful. I love watching Harvey Fairstein on the phone to his mother. Yeah. yeah. Or saying David, because I'm not joking, one of the main characters in Torch Song Trilogy is David, Independence Day David, and is there, what's the other thing that there's a David? And it's like, you need to... Well, Daniel, close enough in this. Daniel! <laughs> the whole time? <laughs> the whole time, the whole time! I'd love to see Miss Doubtfire, but Harvey playing the Sally Field part and Sally playing the Uncle Frank part. Why not? <laughs> um, yeah, what a movie. I didn't rewatch really it for this, but I have... Such a fond memory of the montage of like, it's also musical, like they're doing West Side Story, yeah. Fun Girl, all these things, and so much love between them. And again, no judgment, even though I guess uh, maybe you've seen it more, but I would suggest Harvey's a bit like, maybe, maybe don't do this. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Mm, I'm not sure about this. Yeah, not the best idea to, to do this. But anyway. But, um,. Could talk a lot about Mrs. Doubtfire, but Harvey's only there momentarily, so we'll cap it there and just know that it is one of the the great loves of my life. Um, Nineteen ninety three as well. He would star as Sid Loomis, the agent to um, Diane Weist's Helen Sinclair in Woody Allen's Bullets Over Broadway. Now again, he's very briefly here in a one scene, but you're a you're a fan. I, well, I'm a, I, Helen Sinclair, I hear Helen Sinclair and I think this, I, I just am obsessed with that character. I'm just obsessed. I mean, th- th- what is it? Like a five minute scene at most. Oh, yeah, at most. She storms down the stairs, throw, has thrown her script. She's furious and her agent's trying to convince her to do it. Helen, listen to me. This is a major part in a serious play. And let's face it, Helen, you have not been in a hit in a long time. In a long, long, long time. I'm still a star. I never play frumps or virgins. You're a star because you're great. And you are a great star. But let me tell you something, Helen. In the last couple of years, you're better known as an adulteress and a drunk. And I say this in all due respect. Look, I haven't had a drink since New Year's Eve. You're talking Chinese New Year's. Naturally. Still, that's two days, Sid. You know how long that is for me? It's just wonderful. So, yeah. And I couldn't even... There's so many funny lines in that exchange. Um, And then she goes from being really angry to actually really being charmed because a bouquet of roses arrives and she's like i'll be spilled over the titles like of course of course i don't it's just wonderful 
So yeah, I mean, it, I, there is not a place for him in the film afterwards, and it makes sense that he wouldn't come back. But such a joy. It's kind of a gift of a thing for a film to have an actor that is so good for such a short amount of time, but is not missed. Does that make sense? Like yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. a compliment. Like basically, does the best job they could do. But I all you also have like Jennifer Tilly and Brian Weist giving us very big characters, so it's hard to miss anyone else when you're watching these incredible comedic characters and performances. Yeah. Yeah. And this is I mean, this is something that we have in like Torch Song trilogy and Mrs. Doubtfire and Independence Day, which we'll mention, but Harvey Firestone is very good at Flappy, a character who is yeah. sort of flapping around and in a bit of a state and uh, doesn't know what to do with their hands and their body language and, oh, God, they're stressed. And that's very much what we get here, him sort of chasing after her, oh, God, frantic, frantic, and it's wonderful. And John Cusack's character is called David, so he would be using the uh. word David quite often in this scene. <laughs> Isn't that wild? He I don't get it. Loves the Davids. Anyway, speaking of Sinclair's, in 1994, <laughs> Firestein became the first openly gay actor to play a principal gay character in a television series when he appeared as fashion designer Dennis Sinclair in the short-lived CBS series Daddy's Girls. Oh, was any good? Short-lived suggests maybe not the best, I don't know, but that's not always the case. What a fascinating time. Like, it is such a... F I think the 90s is a wild time for queer stories and I say queer there's really when I say there's only probably gay people gay yeah. men at most yeah. and then Ellen's TV show but yeah and which he also starred in actually he was in an episode of Ellen as well weren't we all <laughs> he'd go to the opening of an envelope as Meryl said about uh, Goldie Hawn, in case nobody gets that reference from Death Becomes Her, I'm not being Wonderful. a bitch for no reason. Oh, anyway, we shall move on from there. In 96, he features in The Celluloid Closet, um, which is a documentary about the history of LGBTQ characters on screen mm. um, based on the... Yeah, the academic book, yeah. By Vito Russo. Uh, and in that, he's being interviewed about the history of these characters on screen. He has some great documentaries under his belt. Yeah. In 96 as well, he stars as Marty Gilbert in Independence Day. So talking about Flappy, here we have him as... And this is what I can't quite understand, because Independence Day is a film I watched when it probably very nearly first came out, bought it on video, watched it many, many times... And I kind of just think I even still to this day watch it like I'm a six-year-old, very sort of surface level, looking at what's going on. And then when I was reading who his character was, I was like, he works in, like, a cable television company. Yeah. But he's working with Jeff Goldblum's character, who's, what, like a cable engineer who ends up because he understands something, which means he's the right person to go into space yeah. and kill aliens. What a wild thing. It is a bit wild. Uh, Jeff Goldblum's character has purposely removed himself from his... Um, skill set because he had a fight with his on-off girl or wife even right. on-off girlfriend um, okay. Bonnie Hunt is that Bonnie Hunt? No it's not Bonnie <laughs> who, who is it? It's just <laughs> I just watched it who the hell is it? It does look quite like Bonnie Hunt she who does look hell? like Bonnie Hunt Is she not the woman from As Good As It Gets? 
Oh, sorry, I'm saying, I'm actually... Helen Hunt. No, I'm, and it's I'm, also not Helen Hunt. I'm, sorry, I'm saying as good as it gets, but I mean Jerry Maguire. Does she not play Renee Zellweger's sister? No, that's Bonnie Hunt. Okay. Yeah. Well, at least I know who Bonnie Hunt yeah, is. Yeah, 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 yeah. But this I did not her. So, so this Bonnie Hunt lookalike... Bonnie Hunt. <laughs> sorry to whoever you are. That's so, that's so upsetting. Um... It's like when I confused Independence Day and Mars Attacks until my partner Pam Greer was in Independence Day. <laughs> but it's not. It's, it's Fisher Fox. Oh, oh, and um, Vivica. Yeah. Fisher. Who? I don't know who anyone is. Why? I have. I might Fishnet's have. Fox. I might have a. <laughs> I might have a master's in film, but I have no right Rosacea. to be. Rosacea no, Fox. <laughs> I have no right to be doing this podcast. So whoever the fuck is in that movie? Vivica. Anyway, so get, getting back to, I'm trying to explain to you who so Jeff Goldblum right, yes, is. I know, and we're just finding yourself in more of a pickle. Anyway, go. J- Jeff Goldblum has an on-off thing with this Bonnie Hood look-alike. And he he punched the president, um, played by the most attractive man. Um, oh. oh my God, what's his name? My mind has gone so blank on <laughs> that. That's um, uh, Bill Paxton. Yeah, Bill Paxton. No, Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman. <laughs> <laughs> you need to. Okay, we need to stop. Okay, so Bill oh, Pullman. No. <laughs> but anyway, basically. I don't know why Jeff Goldblum is doing that job, but he he doesn't want to be near his wife. And also, then we get yeah a flappy. Harvey Firestein calling his mother, shouting David because that's Jeff Goldblum's character's name, and his he is the most vivid representation for the audience of of like uh, drama for the aliens coming to destroy the world. David, why did I just send my mother to Atlanta? David, David, talk to me. Hear me tell you that the signal hidden in the satellite feed is slowly recycling down to extinction. Not really. Countdown. Countdown. We're gonna count down to what, David? He he doesn't survive for very long. Oh, he's he, wonderful. Yeah, he is so good. He's so sweet as he's like scurrying around. I yeah. just think it's so cute. Even with that gravelly voice, you might not think of cute, but I just think it is so sweet and. The melodramatic flair. There's such theatricality in in his panic, and then the oh, I better call my mother. It's just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're also not laughing at him, which is something no, I think happens so a lot great. in '90s movies with effeminate characters. Yeah. You know, we're we're encouraged to laugh because nice. they're screaming or whatever, and it's not always you're in on the joke with them; it's at them. Yeah. So I do think he is is really well done, and he talks about his time in Independence Day really fondly great and getting on really well with Roland Emmerich yeah 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 and Jeff Goldblum um, apparently he kissed Jeff Goldblum oh. last one but it's, I don't think oh, I know I've seen the movie it's not in the film but um, sorry I should say kissed him in character okay <laughs> oh my lord um, but because that's the way those characters might have been with each other so yeah sounds like fun old time oh. Roland might be gay isn't Roland it? is gay oh yeah, yeah, yeah. well here we go well yeah. that's why it's not yeah. judgmental yeah. god that's funny I didn't know yeah so maybe that's why he's kind of this thoughtful man who loves his mum and needs to call his mum it's very sweet well it makes a sense why Bill Paxton or Bill Pullman is just posing the whole time as president he's like your wife's dead he's like hmm <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'll smolder over here. Mm. Oh, I mean, what a film! It is quite something. It's a, it's a really fun one to revisit. But I always forget just how crazy it is because the image in my head is always of this, you know, enormous spaceship hovering above the world. Basically, you think it's a city, but then, oh no, there's maybe lots of them. But yeah, it's just taking close. over the sort of skyline, and it's very dramatic. But moments of it are very playful and silly, and punching aliens and. 
Uh, but also wonderful stuff like Mary McDonnell. Yeah, well, you say that, but I find it really <laughs> upsetting to watch. Okay. Because, like, the actual, like, destruction of the world, the, the initial one, goes on for quite a long time, and you have to watch a lot of people suffer. That is true. That is true. So, well, so sorry me. to be, I'm so being very sorry. intense. I'm so sorry to bring down the mood. You're not watching Dependence Day in that well, I just, I, I, I just no, felt No, you're watching very, it as it's intended. And then Mary, you say Mary McDowell, McDowell, oh my God. No, she's no, she doesn't have a wonderful part, but she is just wonderful oh, yeah. to appear in anything. As I mentioned before, she's my second favourite first lady in an alien invasion movie from the 90s. With Glenn Close in Mars Attacks being clearly the top one. Okay, fine. That's all right. We'll allow it. Anyway, we've been 15 minutes talking about Independence Day. <laughs> Quite right. <laughs> I mean, 15 minutes more, I say. Um, no, no, let's move on. So, Firestein voiced the role of Yao in Disney's 1998 animated feature Mulan, a role he later reprised for the video game Kingdom Hearts 2 and the direct DVD sequel Mulan 2. He also stars in the crime comedy The Safe Men in the same year. Firestein, I mean, understandably does a lot of voice work. Why would you not want that voice everywhere? But he voices the character of Elmer in 1999 HBO special The Sissy Duckling. But this is very important to him. Uh, it won the Humanitas Prize for Children's Animation. He actually wrote the script for this, which he then also turned into a book thereafter, which was published in 2002. That same year, he stars again in a Robin Williams film, so teaming up with him again, this time in Death to Smoochie as a corrupt charity organiser. <laughs> it's such a wild film. Death to Smoochie... I was so excited when it came out, and I remember getting the video, or DVD it would have been, and, like, it's funny nowadays, so Barbie's been a huge hit. I remember Death to Smoochie being, like, under such sort of scrutiny because... The, it's set on a t kids TV show world and there's a dinosaur played by Edward Norton that was very similar to Barney the Dinosaur and though the team there were really adamant that there was no um, confusion but yeah the story is Robin Williams was this clown presenter I forget why but he's um, cancelled before the word was even invented and replaced by Edward Norton so the rest of the film is about Robin Williams trying to tear down Edward Norton and Harvey is one of those key players trying to force Edward Norton to be in, as part of his ice um, skating show and it's just so funny. The main the main joy in this film is just how silly the, the people that you like and respect and love doing really silly things and Harvey has a really wonderful demise under the hand of Pam Frears as an Irish mob boss. A man's got to answer for his indiscretions. It was a mistake, an honest mistake. I was just trying to help the children. Oh, you like kids, huh? Oh, yes, yeah, sure, of oh, course. Oh, I bet you know some fairy tales then. Hey, Danny, tell him the one about the worthless prick that gets his head chopped off with an axe. No. No! Amazing. So yes, I have Death of the Moochies I wouldn't really recommend, but it is really interesting. And maybe, maybe it'll inspire Daniel Kaluuya, because isn't he doing the Barney movie? Really? Yeah, after Barbie, we're all getting, we're getting Polly Pocket mm. with fucking Lena Dunham, Barney the Dinosaur with Daniel, Daniel Kaluuya. Kaluuya. Oh. I believe so. Okay, great. 
Wow, that's really thrown me. My Little Pony with um, Woody Allen. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is really creepy. Things are taking a turn. Um, Okay, let's um, move away from that. Uh, So, where are we at? 2003, he stars in a film called Duplex with Ben Stiller. Yeah, I saw that with Drew Barrymore, is it? Drew Barrymore, yes. Okay, cool. Don't they move into a duplex? I guess so. Hence the name. I don't know. I know nothing. About <laughs> I know nothing. Sorry, I, but I did watch it. Oh, great. And you know nothing. Must have been a good one. Um, so around that same time as well, 2003, on Broadway, Harvey originally plays the character of Edna Turnblad in the musical adaptation of John Waters' Hairspray. For this, he wins another Tony for leading actor in a musical. In 2004, he replaced Alfred Molina as... Tevye? Tevye? Yeah. Tevye, no, the first one you said, yeah. Tevye, in the 2004 revival of Fiddler on the Roof, he would reprise that role again during a US tour in 2009. In 2007, Firestein wrote the book To the Musical, A Catered Affair. He also starred in that same production, which opened on Broadway in 2008. It received 12 Drama Desk Award nominations and won the Drama League Award for Distinguished Production of a Musical. On February the 15th, 2011, Firestein replaced Douglas Hodge as Albin in the Broadway revival of The Casual Fall, so playing that iconic role. The show closed on May 1st, 2011, after playing 433 performances. Um, In this year, he also starred as a judge in an episode of The Good Wife. Writing all their musicals, we would then have him writing the book for the stage musical Newsies, um, alongside Alan Menken, who did the music, and Jack Feldman, who did the lyrics. This musical opened on Broadway in March 2012, and Firestein was nominated for another Tony Award for Book of a Musical. Here we go again. Firestein wrote the book for a stage musical version of the film Kinky Boots, with music and lyrics by Cindy Lauper. After a initial run in 2012 in Chicago. It then opened on Broadway in April 2013. It was nominated for 13 Tony Awards, including a nomination for Best Book for Harvey and won six, including Best Musical. Um, Harvey wrote a play titled Casa Valentina, which opened on Broadway in 2014. Very busy at this time. It tells the story of men who spend weekends at a resort in the Catskill Mountains dressed as women. He was nominated again for a Tony for Best Play, sensing some trends going on. And there's a terrific documentary about that location. Um, it really, I would again look at the description notes, but it was so good. Oh. I don't know if it why where I watched it. Maybe it was part of the uh, flair, the queer film festival here in London, or maybe I what I don't know how I watched so it. So this is a real culture. This is a this thing. is a real yeah. thing. Yeah, I'm pretty. It's a wonderful. It's, maybe it was Oscar nominated. My mind's gone blank, but it really, really amazing. And I, yeah, I mean, to go into that, would you have to go into a lot of detail and stuff? But it's wonderful, yeah. And I was reading about that Harvey's play. It just sounds fascinating. Mm. And his, he seems to get a lot out of it, yeah. Oh, wicked. Okay, cool. Well, then I must seek out that documentary. Um, Writing, writing, writing. Here we go with some more. Uh, He wrote the teleplay for the NBC TV broadcast of The Wiz Live. And then he also did the teleplay for the 2016 same sort of broadcasting of Hairspray Live, um, where he would also star 
again in the role um, as Edna Turnblad alongside a cast including Ariana Grande, Jennifer Hudson, Kristen Chenoweth and Martin Short. Yeah, Martin Short plays the, uh, well, the Christopher Walken part from the film, like his um, husband. So they sing Your Timeless to me together. Oh. Yes, lovely. Um, In 2016 as well, alongside his Kinky Boots collaborator Cindy Lauper, they were both honoured with stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Um, Farstein wrote and starred in Bella Bella, a solo monologue play about New York Congresswoman Bella Abzug. It premiered at Manhattan Theatre Club Stage One uh, in 2019. And then up to 2022 now, Farstein's memoir, I Was Better Last Night, um, was published and very quickly was a massive bestseller, I think a New York Times bestseller. Um, And the same year would also star in the gay romantic comedy Bros. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about his role in Bros and maybe why that's important? Bros is a film... See, I think Bros feels really loaded now. And I guess that's an interesting thing. And it was really interesting that Harvey's part of it. Um, It's... um, did Billy Eichner direct it? No, he just he just wrote it and starred in it. Don't know who directed it. Yeah. I don't know. But um, Billy Eichner, it's a film that's very aware of what it's saying. So it is following the Billy Eichner character as they start a relationship with, as the film would describe it, a very stereotypical gay man. So very muscly, very interested in how they're perceived. Um and Billy Eichner is not that by his um his own standards. And yeah, the film is kind of reflecting I guess gay gay culture, gay culture being part of the mainstream, there being very little in terms of diversity in terms of queer culture is what the film is saying. Um in it's such a funny thing because there's a scene for scene you could compare Torch Song Trilogy like if you think towards the end where he's talking to Anne Bancroft about I don't need love I don't need this I want or she says to him like why do you keep talking about being gay and um, he explains why it's like we live in this world and I don't you know it just so happens that's just the way I feel about it and now Billy Eichner is doing the same thing like he's meeting his in-laws and all he keeps talking about is queer things and he's questioned like why are you doing that so it is an interesting counterpoint. So Harvey is in it for a very short scene where he welcomes Billy Eichner and his fella to his Fire Island home because they're renting a room. Oh, I've been coming up to P-Town since uh, 1976. Wow. Who are all these guys? Oh, well, um, actually, that's me. Oh, yeah. my God, Lewis, you were so hot. Yeah, I know. Wow. Do any of these guys still come up here, too? Oh, no. By 1996, four of the seven of them were gone. I got this place in 1999 when I realized that somehow, miraculously, I was going to survive. Oh, I'm so sorry. So tell me, what are you boys up to today? Oh, well, I have a work thing this afternoon, so I don't really know. Probably just lay low. Lay low? You're in P-Town. Go out, have fun. You'll be dead soon enough. Come on, (laughs) let me show you your room. All right. Here's your bedroom. Oh, my God! Oh, wow. And if you want to fuck you, let me know. Oh. To me, that's the best part of the movie. And actually places the film and what Billy Eichner is trying to achieve 
in a higher standard than I personally put the film. Yeah. I think it's trying too hard, so A, it's not entertaining, and B, I also just think it's like a bit hateful. I guess I see, I'm very sort of like, do we have enough hate in the world without throwing hate at each other? Mm. For instance, another an example of a queer story that is combating stereotypes and gentrification and all this sort of thing but doing it in a way that I think is more thoughtful and more interesting is the musical A Strange Loop. Yeah, I think it's... Yeah, I just it's things that don't land. I think it's references. It's just trying to throw too many things at the wall and not enough of them stick, I would say, is the thing. I would, I would probably like to visit again and see if I feel better about it. Maybe my expectations were high because there was a lot of excitement around a sort of Judd Apatow-produced type film, which is actually... Um, featuring a gay central storyline but yeah it just doesn't really work except for moments and, and having Harvey there does feel like in, an intelligently knowing choice which is a wonderful thing um, in a film where it's it doesn't all quite add up to the same but I just had a quick look at who the director was and it's Nicholas Stoller which then makes sense because he sort of directs the, the Neighbours films, Bad Neighbours films and um, forgetting Sarah Marshall and things like this. So very much part of the sort of Judd Apatow sort of comedic canon. So maybe also not all of the right parties were involved, I'm not sure, um, but it does feel trying, which isn't a, it shouldn't be a bad thing because, you know, trying to be good is a good thing, but it, it, it is kind of loaded with a sort of self-loathing. Which is hard, I find particularly hard to digest as a film that is aiming for a mainstream audience and the way Billy Eichner in particular ref- yeah. talked about it not being commercially successful is like you wanted to put a film where y- you were finger pointing at the queer community, gay men um, specifically and not at yourself is another part I problem I would have um, and then you and what you wanted was to be gentrified I like I don't get it like I just don't understand it um, I actually like Billy Agnes, but I I just have a real like distaste at that film. You know, he's a, he's supposed to be a proud queer person, but I don't see where it is. And this self-loathing sort of queer stereotype is like innate in what I feel like he's. Do, do you know? Mm-hmm. I think it, is. it reminds me when I was a teenager and gay. You know, you'd have gay people that'd be like, "Oh no, Kylie Minogue, no," or because that's camp and that's silly. Or even now, like when you read stories of. Or people chatting and, you know, they're on Grinder and whatever and they're like, oh no, I want someone masculine and just like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's constructive ways to have a, have stories on that, but Rose is most certainly not that. Yeah, and then that's interesting way of sort of bringing it back to Harvey. I, you know, he is in this film and part of it, but then very much playing, I guess, a version of himself or someone maybe not too dissimilar um, in, in kind of the space he occupies in sort of queer culture, queer history, but he himself in interviews has spoken about the need to make gay characters into maybe sports and being quite straight. And at mm. uh, this point, sometimes this film leans towards that. Not all of it. Billy Agner's character certainly not. But there's things which kind of point in that direction where, where Harvey Farson is very much in the belief to kind of go off the back of what you're saying of let, why can't we also have gay characters who are quite knowingly gay and fitting the sort of mould of um, camp and queerness and all the wonderful things and it doesn't need to just be this kind of straight loaded version of 
what what gay is. So, mm. yes, Harvey. But there we are. We've landed at the end of where we are up to in terms of his career, and and it has been a joy to to reflect back on. If we were to get more um, of Harvey on screen, is there anything you would like to see him in? Yeah. So I've gone really. I feel like left field in my choice of of what I would want him to do. I'd want him. I want to tell in general more queer stories, and I would really like to have him match with Terence Davies. Um, oh. There's I. I'm sure you've seen it, Scott, but I don't know many people have. But the Deep Blue Sea, mm-hmm. um, there's which is a story about Rachel Weisz having an affair with Tom Hiddleston, and her husband, played by Simon Russell Beale, who is heterosexual in the film but queer in real life. In Simon Russell Beale's character is like longingly, like waiting for her, like he knows what's going on, but he's waiting. And there's something about that character and that sort of archetype in a queer sort of story I would find fascinating at whatever time like someone it's not lonely isn't the word I do to describe it but someone with such longing and such love and such hope and such kindness I don't know there's something about it and I think that sort of energy and I do think it could be a contemporary film of someone who you know is surrounded by ghosts in many ways from you know as as someone in their 60s 70s who would have lived through AIDS may have have experienced life in a way that thankfully we will touch wood we will not have to um yeah so i was thinking something along something along those lines which also feels fits into the sensibilities that um i think harvey does with a lot of his writing yeah wonderful i would take any of that the other things i would add would maybe be something like a noah baumbach or greta gerwig new york type story Mm. he can be a theater writer producer whatever mm. it might be and and fit into that sort of world and telling the story of maybe older theater gays in new york i think that mm. could be a wonderful thing um or if it was to be more sort of i could understand him being there and this would be perfect casting and i think i've suggested something similar before if we want sort of queer icons in this world if um when we get our next knives out film harvey Fairstein would be perfect yeah. as a character in that world he would be so perfect and I also love the idea that him and Daniel Craig's characters yeah, might have a history. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that okay, I give up my Artie Fire thing. I think we do knives out three with Harvey Firestein. Yeah. He would be terrific. Perfect. He would be as so a matriarch perfect. sort of character as well. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah, it's like yeah, his chosen family, his gay mother. I don't know, like it's like yeah. so many ways it could I... be done. I, do you know what also now is occurring to me that I'd love to see? I'd love to go back. Do you know there was a time where, like, Judy Dench just kept playing these, like, women in... St- like, I want to see Harvey Firestein redo Shohala. I want him to take oh, that yeah, part. Yeah. I want him to do Notes on a Scandal. Yeah. I want him in all Judy Dench parts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know why that's occurred to me, but I'm like, yeah. Not Ladies in Lavender, as you know. I We oh. don't need that again. But... Although I'd love to see him and Mira Margulies. Yeah. That would be amazing. Be but yeah, basically I just want... Um, actually, no skin a scandal. Let's cast him and... Who would be... Who would be... A, well, actually, let's keep Kate Blanchett. There's no reason to get rid of her. <laughs> I think that sounds wonderful. <laughs> There's no a reason gold to get star rid of day. But we're going to get rid of Judy when she's so amazing. That, But no, I love the idea of him just taking on... Well, it's going to be like an, uh, an extended art piece, but doing it sort of beat for beat. How delicious. Yeah, surely we can get Arts Council funding for that. 
and Shirley, we can get Shirley. So him and Shirley McLean, perfect. <laughs> oh my God. Well, he is a friend of Shirley. Shirley gave him advice on um, his biography. Oh. Um, as he says, like she's written like seven, so who else would you be asking? Um, and she said, uh, <laughs> her advice was, which I think is absolutely brilliant, is like, um, memory subjective so whatever you write down is your memory and if anyone ever comes back to you just say it's yours and it doesn't <laughs> like it's not truth it's your memory it's like okay I Perfect. love Shirley MacLaine yes we are on that fan club <laughs> god I love how we've mentioned so many like yeah. Angela Judy Shirley getting them all in as we ought to and have Kevin Zeta Jones in his um, oh, matriarchal well, house yes and she get her in Knives Out too well perfect. she should just be in Knives Out yeah, like, yes 100% that is a must I would that why isn't <laughs> have we I've well, probably talked about this loads I probably talk about Kevin Zeta Jones in my we, sleep we always do poor, my poor partner I do talk in my sleep and I feel like sometimes I'm just like can't be the gas of Zeta Jones smoky <laughs> yeah. eye yeah, it's like this is the smoky eye. <laughs> no, this is not the Casa Zeta Jones range bed sheets that I asked for. <laughs> anyway, um, so I yeah I agree with you. Anything that Harvey wants to do, let him do it. Yeah, that is how I feel. And on that, we round off what has been an absolute joy of an episode to record and also to reflect on this person, to watch the films. I encourage anyone to do the same. Celebrate a, um, a gay legend who needs more celebration more widely. So here's to you, Harvey, and thanks for everything you have done. Yeah. And Michael, if anyone would like to reach out to us and tell us who we should be talking about next or share any feedback, positive only, um, <laughs> where can they do that? Um, yeah, positive feedback can come to us on social media at don't know her underscore pod or via email at, um i need to give my personal email there and <laughs> um, don't know her pod at gmail.com negative feedback can go to billy eichner <laughs> <laughs> he will handle it well uh, yeah he loves negative feedback in fact i think that's where me and him are quite similar i think i'd deal with <laughs> with uh, negative feedback the way he would hey. um yes and please do rate and review us because it really helps other people find us and thank you for listening. And thank you so much, Scott, for finally getting the Harvey episode. Yeah, I'm so delighted we got there. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Michael. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye.